I said earlier that this is a fifth weekend, and what that means here at New Life is that we have a lot of extra people that are smaller in the worship center with us. When there's a, every quarter there's a, a, a week, or a month, I should say, it has a fifth weekend, it's July, and so the children who are often in the galaxy are here with us today, and I want to talk specifically to you all. In fact, I want to ask all the children to come up here with me for a moment, if you would. Come on up. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. All right. Look at this. This is cool. And come on up. Come on, Jackson. Y'all, you can sit in my lap. Come on. No, nah, he's not coming today. Okay. You can sit over here if you want to. All right. So over the past several weeks, boys and girls, we've been talking about a woman named Ruth. There's a book in the Bible called Ruth. And it's one of my favorite books of the Bible for three reasons. The first reason is because my mother's name was Ruth. If she was still living, this past Tuesday would have been her 100th birthday. But unfortunately for me, good for her, but she's been with Jesus for the last 33 birthdays, so I haven't seen her for a long time. But my mother, uh, we lived in a little town called Gypsy, and every year in the summertime we had Bible school. The church was little. Bible school is like summer explosion, okay? So we had Bible school, and it was a small church, but every year at Bible school, people from towns all around came, and my mother was usually the director of Bible school. And I thought that was pretty cool that my mom directed Bible school, but if, if you know me a little bit, you might know that sometimes I did some things that maybe made my mom not real excited that she was the director of Bible school when I was one of her kids. So I'm going to teach you a song. In fact, if you could come so you can look at me, like if you can walk over here so you can look at me. Come on, you can do that, okay? Come on over here. We're going we're gonna to learn a song. It's called Happy All the Time. It's a really easy song to learn, and it has cool motions, all right? So here's how it goes. And if you're, if you're younger than 17, what's going to happen right now has never happened in your lifetime. That is, I'm singing in church. Okay. So here's how it goes. It has motions. Watch the motions. I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart from sin, I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. Okay? Now, we're going to sing it. Everybody, you going to do it? You going to sing it with me? Do the motions with me. Ready? Everybody, ready? I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart from sin, I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. Well, you might not believe this, but my mom had a hard time with those motions. She just couldn't get them right. So what she decided to do one day was to watch me. She said to me, Chris, I'm going to watch you because I know you can do the motions right. So when it was time to sing the song, here's what I did. I sang, I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart from sin. I'm in right, outright, upright, downright, happy all the time. Now, do you think my mom was happy? No, she was not happy. Okay, you boys and girls can go sit down. So Ruth is important to me because what was my mother's name? Ruth, that's right. The second reason why Ruth is important to me is when I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, I had to take biblical Hebrew. 
Biblical Hebrew is the study of the language of most of the Old Testament. And in all of the 39 books of the Bible, there's only one book that I've ever translated from Hebrew into English, the book of Ruth. That was the t that, that's what we had to do. It's short, you know, it's not that long. So I, I had to learn, first of all, if you've ever seen biblical Hebrew, you might know that they write from right to left instead of left to right. Actually, I'm left-handed, so it was the first time ever I was writing on a chalkboard and I didn't erase the words as I was going along. It was sort of cool. Uh, the second thing, though, is the letters are indistinguishable from chicken scratch, really. They don't look like letters at all. They're very hard to understand. And the next thing is they don't have any vowels in the original Bible, in the original Hebrew. So, for example, if I gave you these three letters, B, B, L, what does that spell? Bible, but it, almost, it could spell Babel. Probably could spell some other things, right? So you sort of had to figure it out. Thankfully, there's little vowel points in there that shows you. But the point is this. Hebrew's hard. You might learn a language someday, Spanish, French, German, I don't know, Mandarin, Japanese. But Hebrew is one of the hardest languages to learn. And I have, a, I have a notebook at home, and I have from Hebrew into English, the book of Ruth, that I translated myself uh, when I was 28 years old. Okay, so that's the second reason. But the most important reason why Ruth is special to me is because the book has two heroes, not just one, but two. First of all, obviously, the hero of the book is Ruth. And Ruth grew up in a place called Moab. And the thing you need to know about Moab, boys and girls, is a place they worshipped idols. If you don't know what an idol is, an idol is something that's made out of wood or stone or gold. It could be, a, it could be in the shape of an animal or a person or a plant or something. But people treated it as if it were their God. And they actually would pray to it and they would worship it. Now, if you think that sounds funny or silly, you're right. And here's what the Bible says. In, in Psalm 115, we read this. It says first, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. So the first thing the psalmist is doing is saying, we're going to praise God, the one true God. Now, look what it says. Why let the nations say, where is their God? You see, all the other nations around Israel, they pointed to their statues of, of, made out of stone or wood or gold, and they said, here's our God. Where's your God, Israel? But, and so that's why it says, why let them say, where's your God? Because our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. Now, here's what the psalmist says about idols. Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and mouths but cannot breathe. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. O Israel, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. So what the psalmist is saying to the people who lived in his day, which was thousands of years ago, you think it's strange that we worship a God we can't see, but our God is real. Our God, even though you can't see our God, our God is real. In fact, only the living God can hear us and help us. Only the living God can hear us and help us. And as we pray to our God who we can't see, the amazing thing is he knows what we're going to pray before we even say it. Before we open up our mouths, he already knows what we're going to say. Now, as we think about Ruth... She lived in this land where they worshipped idols, and she stopped worshipping idols, and she started worshipping the one true God, and she moved to the land of Israel where the one true God was worshipped. 
And, and that's the first hero, but there's a second hero. His name is Boaz. And as we've been learning over the past couple of weeks, God uses people to show his redemption to other people. So that's where Boaz comes in. When Ruth and Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, left Moab, and the reason they left is because Ruth's husband and Naomi's husband had died, so they went back to Israel, and they were going to live there. And, and Ruth, I mean, Naomi had some land that her husband Elimelech had owned, so she was able to move back to the land, but apparently the land didn't have any crops, no food. So Ruth, being an amazing woman, the hero of the story, she goes out to the fields of these other people, and there is a law in those days that allowed widows to go into the, the fields after people had already harvested and pick up the leftovers. But Boaz, he's the next hero in the story, Boaz owned a lot of property and Ruth happened to go on to Boaz's property and when Boaz found out what Ruth was doing, he told his workers, I want you to pick out some extra grain, leave it there so she can pick it up so she doesn't have to work so hard. At lunchtime, Boaz gave Ruth food and a drink. And then last week when Pastor Alex preached, it's sort of weird, but, you know, Boaz is threshing out the grain, and he lies down, and Ruth lies down next to him, and, and Boaz wakes up, and he says, oh, okay, now I see what's going on here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of this situation, but we have to do something first, and that's where we're picking up today, and, and before we move into the, the account of today, I need to remind everybody, in case you've never been here before, or in case you're a child and you haven't been in here for the last couple of weeks, what a redeemer is. A redeemer is someone who buys another person's freedom. A redeemer is someone who buys another person's freedom. Jesus did that for us. And in the Old Testament prophets, they refer to Jesus as a family redeemer. And what we're going to see today is Boaz takes the position of family redeemer for Ruth. And that's why I called today's message Stepping Up to the Plate. But anyway, Jesus died on the cross after living a perfect life, which none of us have ever lived a perfect life. And he died and he sacrificed himself to give us a new life. We get to be new people in Jesus Christ. Now, Boaz doesn't have to do something that drastic. But Boaz is going to have to do something very significant. In fact, to be Ruth's family redeemer took a significant action. And that's our take-home point for today. It's based on what Boaz did. And if you're new, the take-home point is the one thing from the Book of Ruth today, chapter 4, 1 to 12, that I want, want us all to take home and live out in the week ahead. Here it is. Boaz's faithfulness required significant action, and so does ours. So what does that mean? It means if we want to live faithfully in the name of Jesus, it's going to be hard. It's not always going to be easy. Now, here's the thing. Jesus loved you and me before we got out of bed this morning. Before we did anything, Jesus loved us. He left heaven and came to earth before we were even born because he loves us. So we don't have to do something so that God will love us, but we do something after we have a spiritual life, a new life given to us. We live differently for the rest of our lives. We get to live this new life. And sometimes people think that until we are acting new, God won't love us or he won't listen to us when we pray. But here's the reality. The truth is God gives us his love. It's a gift. He gives us new lives, gifts, and then we can live differently. Let me explain. So whether we're 5 or 15 or 50 or 100, it's not always easy to do the right thing. In fact, I mean, it was sort of fun to do the wrong motions in that song and make my mom feel silly. 
But it wasn't the right thing to do. It was wrong. And, and sometimes in our lives, in fact, I would say most of the time in our lives, really, um, we cannot do things that are good on a consistent basis. And I actually have a point that's underlined. In fact, no one does good things for long without God's presence and power. Without God's presence and power, we might do good things for a while. We might, you know, do because we get some check marks and then we get to go to a corner cone or something. We get to do those things. And we might be able to do it for a while, but nobody does it for the rest of their lives without the presence and power of God in our lives. So, Boaz was not Jesus. Boaz was not the Redeemer the way Jesus. He didn't have to die on a cross for Ruth and Naomi. But he does something very powerful and very significant. In fact, there was a law in the days of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi that said that if your husband dies... Your husband's brother has to marry you so that you can have children that will be for your brother. It's a complicated thing, but that's the way it was. And the thing is, Ruth's husband did have a brother, but he died too. So now there's no brothers left. So now what are they going to do? Well, the next thing you did was you looked for the nearest relative. And Boaz is considered a family redeemer, which means he was either a, a cousin or an uncle, something like that. And so he could redeem Ruth. That is, he could marry her and he could take care of her. But there's a problem. There's a nearer redeemer. There's a cousin that's closer. Maybe Boaz is a second cousin and this is a first cousin. And so they have to figure this out. And so that's what we're going to look at as we turn to uh, Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Before we do that, let's pray. God, I thank you for every person here. I especially thank you for the boys and girls today. I thank you that they're with us. I thank you that they're always with us here and that we get the opportunity to share today your good news in this location instead of in the galaxy. I ask God that for all of us, that your Holy Spirit would pour into us that we can receive either your new life for the very first time or a new empowering to live that new life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it says this, if you have your Bible or Bible app or you have that study guide that we've been using all summer, in Ruth 4, verse 1, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then, the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Notice, Boaz has proven to be an honorable man. His workers like him. You know, he's been good to Ruth. He's a good guy. And so when he decides that he's going to be the family redeemer and he finds out there's a closer family redeemer, he doesn't say, hey, let's go out back here and let's have a little fight, figure this out. He says, hey, let's sit down, friend. Let's talk this through. And then it says, Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know Naomi who came back from Moab? She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. So Boaz called the witnesses because in those days... They didn't have judges and magistrates like we do today. When you had a legal thing going on, you just brought the elders, the, 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 the older folks in, in town, and they were your witnesses. And so these 10 witnesses are sitting there. There's Boaz. There's the family redeemer. And Boaz has explained the situation. Look, Elimelech's wife Naomi's back in town. Well, you know, she needs somebody to redeem the land. You can do it because you're the closest relative. What do you think? And here's what it says. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Why not? You get to haul this property and, and all you have to do is maybe pay a little bit of money and it's all yours? And if you're saying, wait, there's got to be a catch. 
Well, there sort of was a catch. Okay, so the next verse says, Then Boaz told them, Of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Whoa, now house and land and all that, that sounded good, but now wait, he has to marry this foreigner? He's thinking, mm, I'm not sure about that. I, I don't know about that. If I, if I have to do that, hmm, what's going on? So he says this, well, then I can't redeem it. You're right, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. And with that one little you know, interaction, couple of sentences, this close family redeemer gave up all the rights to the property to Boaz and also the right to marry Ruth. And if you've been following the story, you know that that's really what he wanted anyway. He wanted to marry Ruth. He didn't care that it was going to be hard. He didn't care that there was more responsibility. In fact, here's what. He cared about doing what was right even if it cost him something. And really, that's one of the most important things we get out of chapter 4 in Ruth. And that is that we need to do what's right even when it's hard, even when it costs us something. You know, it almost always does cost us something to do the right thing in the beginning. It's always easier to do the wrong thing. It's harder to learn emotions and do them right. It's easy to mess them up. It, it's easy. It's easy to, you know, punch your brother. I know because I have three brothers. It's easy to punch your brother. It's hard not to. It's easy to do the right thing only one time. When God's in charge of your life, most of the time it's easy to do the wrong thing. But it's always better to do the right thing. Always better. So it says this in verse 7 and 8. Now in those days it was the custom in Israel of anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Now this seems a little weird. The guy takes off his sandal, he hands it to Boaz. Now... We don't do that these days whenever, you know, when you sell your car, you don't, you know, take off your shoe and say, here, it doesn't work that way. But all this is doing is saying that in every culture, in every time in history, there has been a way to make something legal. And, and I don't know if, you, I mean, I think about things that most people don't think about. You picture the guy walking home, you know, and, and somebody comes up to him and says, well, whose land didn't you get? Because they know you don't walk around with one sandal in Bethlehem unless you know, you just missed out on a good opportunity, or maybe you passed over a bad one. Anyway, then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around. Notice it says the elders and the crowd standing around. Where did a crowd come from? Well, it's just, you know, Bethlehem isn't that big of a town, and they heard that Boaz was talking to the family redeemer, and there's 10 witnesses. Now everybody in town's watching. <laughs> They're all looking. And Boaz says to the crowd and to the witnesses, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Machlon. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Machlon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You, all, you are all witnesses today. So Boaz made sure that everyone understood this is a done and legal deal. Everybody, he's, he, I mean, he's probably talking to a crowd this size by the time it's all said and done. Everybody here agrees, right? I now own a Limelex property, and I now am responsible for Ruth. I get to marry her, and I guess I got to take care of Naomi, too. She's going to be my mother-in-law. I don't think he probably said it that way, but, you know. Anyway, 
It says, then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. Now, if you don't know the history of Israel, all that people were saying to Boaz was, we hope you have a good life and you have 12 kids, sons. Oh, okay, well, we might not think 12 sons is a good life, but that's what they would think in those days because 12 sons, you know what 12 sons meant? 12 workers in the fields, 12 people that take care of you when you're old. Social security didn't exist, but 12 sons, whoo, you're in good shape if you have 12 sons, right? So that's what they're saying. Now, it sounds like we're just about ready to say, and they all live happily ever after. But actually, that's Pastor Barry's message for next week. What I want to remind us today is, Boaz did the amazing thing, the hard thing, the incredible thing. He did what he didn't have to do. He stepped up to the plate. And sometimes in our lives, you know, when we step up to the plate, we find out it's going to be challenging. But stepping up to the plate, which is a baseball term in case you don't know, it means doing the right thing even when it's hard. But when we step up to plate, we get to live the life that God created us to live. So here's the next step for this week. For those of you who are new, it's the one action point from this message, and here it is. This week, I will do what's right even when it's hard. I will do what's right even when it's hard. You know, if you're seven or eight, doing what's right, it might mean your mom tells you to clean up your room, and you clean up your room. It, it might mean that uh, your dad says, uh, put away your phone at the dinner table, and you put away your phone. Well, if you're an adult... What that might mean is you put your phone away at the dinner table and, and you, you know, look at your children and you look at your wife or your husband and you do the right thing. Or it could mean something really a lot harder than that. It might mean that you quit doing a job that isn't honoring to God or that is tearing your family apart. It might mean that you welcome a new child into your family that you never thought you were going to have in your family. Listen what happened in Boaz's life. I mean, do you think Boaz ever in his wildest dreams thought that one day he would want to get married to a Moabite woman? Idol-worshipping Moabite? Ha, huh, not an idol-worshipping Moabite. This woman showed him what it was to worship the one true and living God, showed him what it was like to be faithful, showed him what it was like to be industrious. And here's the thing. When we commit to doing what's right, even when it's hard, God often makes the way better. I am not going to promise you the way will always be easier, but it is nearly always better. Amen? This week, once again, we got to see Boaz stepping up and doing the right thing, even if it wasn't the easy thing. And as we've learned the last couple of weeks, that is only because of Jesus and the glimpse of Jesus we got through Boaz. And that we are only able to do the right thing because of Jesus in us. And if Jesus isn't yet your Lord and Savior, today's the day. Here at New Life, we say it's simple as ABC. A, we admit that we're sinners and that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And B, we believe. We believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we commit to following Him by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So right now, what I'm gonna do is I'm going to pray a prayer of salvation. You can either pray this with me or you can pray it in your own words. It's not the words that matter. It's the intent behind it. It's the fact that you are giving up ownership of your life, that you are giving everything over to Jesus and asking him to be your Lord, your savior, your master. Pray this with me. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and that I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior, my master, my rescuer. And I believe that Jesus is my Lord, my Savior, my rescuer. And I believe that he is your son. And I believe that he came onto this earth and died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again on the third day and is now with you in heaven. And I confess, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior and God, I commit to following him every day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I will do my best to step up to the plate, to do the right thing, even when it's not the easy thing. And I know now that I can do this because I have Jesus in me. And it's in your son Jesus' name that I pray.